0: Welcome to the NARPM podcast, where we bring you the most in-depth look into the property management industry. We discuss hot topics with property managers, vendors, and those that support the property management industry. The National Association of Residential Property Managers is the recognized leader in property management. Our host is Pete Newbig, co-founder of Empire Industries Property Management and co-founder and CEO of VPM Solutions, where property management meets global talent. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the host and are not necessarily those of NARPM. Now, here's your host, Pete Newbig.
1: Welcome to the NARPM Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. However you may be listening, iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or through any of the podcast platforms, thank you for being here. Today I'm going to introduce a good buddy of mine, Hatham Fodi. He's the co-founder of Benchmark Insurance Group. Hatham and I have known each other for over 20 years. He's done all my insurance personally for the property manager company when I ran Empire and for my properties. Benchmark Insurance Group of Texas is the leading risk management insurance brokerage for business of all sizes with capabilities to provide the industry's lowest premiums from top-rated insurance companies, first-class service, and in-house claims consulting to provide representation when claims do occur. Their vision is to provide their clients and partners knowledge by providing tailor-made solutions that are designated to address everyday business. They're more an insurance broker. They are your risk management partner. Before we talk all things insurance and I promise you in this episode I ask all the questions that maybe you had wanted to ask but were but uh, never got around to it or maybe forgot to ask but I do ask hate them tons of questions all about insurance but before we get there let's talk about the hot topic the hot topic of the day so my hot topic is you can't find good people because your hiring system is terrible I've had so many people tell me that they just can't find good people or that they never work out, and some people actually don't want to grow their business because they're worried about lack of talent or unable to find talent, and I was like you. For those of you who have a hard time finding good people, I was just like you because I, too, had a terrible hiring system, but like every other system that's terrible, we look at it, we review it, we tweak, and hopefully we make it better. So I'm going to teach you what I learned the hard way, because if you ever seen my presentation about this, you hear the story of Sharon and how a terrible person she was. And instead of like actually letting her go, I move her to a different seat and I actually promoted her. And so we don't want you to have a bunch of Sharons or Karens in your organization. We want you to have A players or top rated folks or people that embody your core values. And so that's the first thing that I realized. So lack of a hiring system, if you don't have a hiring system, right, you need to create one. And if you don't have core values, then how do you know the, the person that you want to put into your organization? And by the way, if you don't have core values, that means that you do have core values called a culture and that your team has created that culture and the culture is being pushed from the bottom up instead of the top down. And so what are core values, right? They are what you hire, fire, promote on. They are the basis of your organization. And so core values aren't just said one time, put on a piece of paper on a poster and put in the boardroom. Core values should be talked about on a, you know, on a, on a, at least on a monthly basis with your team, right? So every time you have a company meeting, you should talk about core values. They should be part of your organization's existence. At Empire, our core values. We we actually had an acronym they called DOTs. We would have meetings each week in our company. We'd have company meetings. I'm sorry, monthly company meetings, even weekly company meetings, and I'd have Dots Candies. And I would literally ask people, you know, about our core values. If they got it right, I would I'd send them dots, candies, I'd give them a gift card. We try to make it fun. So everybody in the organization knew what our core values were. And people that didn't embody by the core values, they were not they were not on the bus or on the boat very long. So have core values. An example is we're dedicated professionals who believe in the brand and do the right thing always, right? So it's integrity, professional, dedicated. So right there, that's, that's a lot of, you know, that one sentence, you have a, a lot of values that you want to embody. And when you interview folks, you want to ask them questions that relate to your core values, because you want to find the right person getting the right person inside the organization. That's like half the battle. Okay. Now the next thing is how do you find that per- how do you get that person in the right seat right so for example i was interviewing for a an accounting position and i had a girl and she was interviewing and she was telling me how much she loved accounting but her personality profile type was that of a salesperson so she didn't like uh, she didn't love accounting she loved the idea of getting out of her old job and getting into something different so the next thing i recommend is when you create your job description have the each Create every job role in the job description so you have to be detailed. Ambiguity is your enemy here. Don't just have like one dot of saying, hey, I need you to do this and then all other duties assigned by management. If you don't know what the job role is supposed to do, how does the person you're hiring know what the job role is supposed to do? Then you cr- once you create a detailed job description, now what you do is you look at what the personality profile of each one of those detailed job roles are for, for that job. And then you can create a personality profile. Now, if the personality profile is all over the map and you need all these different personalities, good luck. That's a unicorn. They don't exist. So you might have to strip some of those duties away. But now you can determine the type of the personality profile. So now I can find the right person based on my core values. I can get the right person based on their personality profile so I know they're going to enjoy the type of work that we're asking them to do. Now I have the right person. I put them in the right seat. Now I have to have key performance indicators. I have to have metrics on this. If I don't have metrics, what's the scorecard? How do I know if they're doing a good job? But more importantly, how do they know they're doing a good job? I promise you, most of the people that you hire, they want to do a good job. They just don't know how because your job description is terrible and you have no key performance indicator. So you have no idea if they're doing a good job or not. So you have to have a key performance indicator, one to three KPIs per job role. If you have 15 KPIs, everything is important. So nothing's important. And the job is just too big. You're hiring for somebody that has way too many, way too many tasks that need to be, that need to be done. So, so, the KPI tells you that if they're rowing in the right direction. So core values, I got the right person on in the organization. Personality profile, I got the right person in in their seat, and KPI, I know they're rowing in the right direction. And so, if you follow those steps, that is the beginning of a great hiring system. We'll be right back, and we're going to talk to Hatham and we're going to answer. All those insurance questions, because I don't know about you guys, but me, insurance is kind of like this black hole for me. We'll we'll be right back.
2: Create the best move-in experience for your resident or homeowner. Citizen Home Solutions is a utility concierge service designed to assist with services needing activation prior to moving into a new home. Our experienced team will help eliminate the stress of setting up services. No more calling a long list of service providers to get everything connected and ready for move-in day. Your client will value the white glove service provided on your behalf. True, Citizen Home Solutions assist with utilities, but more importantly, we create an experience that your client will appreciate and love. Our service is free and offers you a revenue share program. Want to know more? Visit pmcpartner.com.
3: Scaling your business means juggling many moving parts, leaving you wondering how to manage it all. How can you keep your eye on growth and streamline your operations? At RentBridge, we've created the Property Management Operating System, an ecosystem for property management marketing and process automation, where you can view and take action on the most important aspects of your operations, from sales and new owner onboarding to leasing, collections, renewals, and more. By bringing operations and marketing under one platform, you can have end-to-end visibility of your owners, tenants, and vendors from the first moment they interact with you, allowing you to add more doors with less effort and scale a truly profitable property management business. To learn more, visit rentbridgegroup.com today.
1: Okay, welcome back, everybody. And as promised, I have my good buddy Hatham. Hatham and I have actually known each other. He actually is in, located in Houston, Texas, but he has been in the in the insurance business for over 20, 20 plus years. So, Hatham, thank you for joining us on the on the NARPAN Podcast today.
2: Pete, thank you for having me. As always, congrats on uh, BPM as well.
1: Thanks, buddy. All right, so Hatham, as you know. All, most of our listeners are property management company owners or property managers. So they, you know, so the first thing I want to talk about is what type of insurance should I have as a property management company?
2: Well, you know, for a starting property management group, you obviously need general liability for any lawsuit purposes. Especially, for, you know, if you're operating in an office, any premise liability, general liability is pertinent. You're also going to need professional liability, which is also known as errors and omissions, E&O insurance, which is co- covering the professional service of what you're doing. Anything that you can be negligent for, you know, against tenant lawsuits. So is a must. It's a must that you have it, you know, and also if you have property managers going to actual properties, you will need workers' comp as well. You know, there's always a ton of liability of incidents where they can get injured on a construction side or a tenant attacks someone. You definitely need workers' comp for them as well.
1: So let's dive into each one of those real quick. So tell me a little bit about general liability. One is how is it priced normally? And then what are some of the coverages like that I should have? Like, is it a million dollar? Like, what what does that look like?
2: So your standard coverage is is, uh, $1 million per occurrence with 2 million aggregate. And and it's priced differently per line of business, right? So, you know, for instance, a, a restaurant would be based on gross sales, but for a property management group, it could be gross sales or it could be. Per, per door uh, per per door that you're actually managing to determine what that rating factor is, right? So they'll say, hey, you know we're we're going to charge you eight dollars a door. and if you're managing you know hundred doors it's going to be eight thousand a year. just to give you an example. so that that's how it's factored in. It could be either be based on gross sales, could be number of employees, but but it's typically based on a, a on a per rating door basis.
1: Now I remember when when I my GO insurance for for Empire, it was based on it was based on income revenue that is correct but it was on it wasn't based on the sales revenue It was just based on the property management revenue correct is, is that correct okay and then so tell me though remember how many times how many times did i call you and say hey man they're jacking my price up again so talk a little bit about the gl and what they do is they do kind of a year in arrears right and then they come audit. so tell, tell us about talk about the audit
2: so every year, and, and it's really hit or miss, and it's, it's also based on the rating. So if, if you're basing it on gross sales or, or your net income, a lot of carriers now are, are meticulous about it, and they're, they're you know, doing those audits every year. And at, you know, as you did, you grew every year, you know, went from 100 to 200 to 400 doors. You know, your sales increase, therefore, your price of insurance is going up. So it happens every year. They'll contact you. Uh, they'll ask you for your books, you know what you've done. But then, you know, it's up to us as agents to really dispute, you know, some of those other miscellaneous charges that you wouldn't see as actual income. For instance, the construction, right? The, the homeowner might pay you to remodel something and then you pay the contractor. That can't be looked on as income, right? You know, so it's, it's finding that balance as to what is really our income, how much are we making, uh, and, and reporting that to the carrier.
1: So you just bring up a great point, and I not I wasn't thinking about asking you this, but now I'm going to pivot and ask you this: <laughs> what what makes a really good agent? Like what what should we look for? Like I know you and I, we've had a personal relationship before we even did business together, and so right. we had a great relationship. But is that a normal relationship? Like meaning, not only did you sell me the insurance right, but you looked at everything, and then you you kind of helped me with these audits. What else should I be looking for if I'm a property management company in in a partnership with my with my uh, insurance agent?
2: a great question. You know, you, you always want a boutique style agency, right? Someone who's a little more hands-on. You're not going to get that from most agencies out there. You know, you're typically a number. And if you have an audit, they'll send you the paperwork and, and you know, their job is done. You know, they're there to kind of follow up with you and let you know that the audit is due, but they're not going to go through the numbers and say, hey, this is what we should report and what we not, we shouldn't report. Also, somebody that has some claim experience. You know, I, you for me, I would want my agent to know how to handle claims, to know how to file the claims. When should I file? When should I not file a claim? How can we negotiate, you know, out of a claim? For instance, if if there's a mild settlement, and I think we've done this, you and I, where we told the tenant, hey, here's 500 bucks and, you know, let's not file a claim, right? So somebody who has experience, not only from an audit standpoint, from a claim standpoint, uh, and and that's just there for you uh, when, when you are in need of insurance, right?
1: Yeah, I know. Look, we filed a couple of claims at Empire, and I didn't even know how to go through the claim process. And you guys held my hand. And we're going to talk about the anatomy of a claim process later on when I ask you some questions about that. (laughs) Let's stay on the general liability for right now. I know when I rented my 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 space in the building, I needed general liability. If I don't have my own space, tell me why I need general liability. What are some of the things that general liability covers? For me if i don't you know if it's not required by some, like let's say i'm operating out of my house why would i need general liability
2: you know for for false advertisement you know that could be one thing you know if somebody comes to your house to sign up sign some paperwork let's just say you're not completely virtual uh any slip and fall cases when you think general liability you're thinking as general as possible right your minor slip and fall cases any third party injuries or lawsuits, you know, but then there's a lot of exclusions tied into the general liability. So, you know, you got to be real careful as to what's covered and what's not. But, you know, for, for someone with an office, you're going to need premise liability for when customers actually come to your office or, or you know, a tenant comes to pay or whatever it is before, you know, working from home. I think you still need it just, just for other areas. I mean, if there's, you know, cyber liability, you know, somebody steals your identity or, or takes you know, uh, customer's credit card information.
1: Is that an additional rider on that general? That is
2: is an additional rider, right? We can add cyber liability there, especially if you're doing a lot of virtual transactions and and credit card fees and things like that. You know, so there's different facets of it, but definitely needed even if you're virtual or uh, in
1: office. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about errors and omissions. So obviously as, as a broker or real estate agent, we, we, we know we need errors and omissions, but what exactly is errors and omissions? What does it actually protect us from?
2: Okay. So, you know, like, like we said about general, it's very general with, with errors and omissions, it's professional liability. It is covering liability for your professional services. Okay. So, you you know, things in your day-to-day transactions, right? Um, If you, you know, sign up a tenant and now a tenant is suing you for you know, mold or if a tenant I'll give you a tenant.
1: I'll give you a good one. If we say something, right, but that's not correct, and then we get sued on that. Is that what like for example that is this correct? One, somebody may say this house doesn't have mold, which by the way, if you're a property manager, you never say anything about a house not having mold or whatever. Right. But if they say that, or if they send an email worse, then a tenant sues you for mold, then your errors and omissions would cut co- would cover that, yeah.
2: That is correct. And, and, you know, any advice that you're giving or any, uh, right, you know, right. you're, you're just saying, hey, you know, we, we didn't know that he had a dog and then the dog got out and bit one of the neighbor's child, right? So what, what am I actually negligent for? Well, any information that you're giving to the tenants, any negligence that you're not providing to the tenants in, on behalf of the landlord, that's what your e and or, or professional liability would cover.
1: Does the E&O help when, when they're suing and then you have your lease or your property management agreement. And then, so they, they may say something, but your PMA or your lease basically says, no, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. And so they have a claim that I can show the, ENO insurance. Hey, we have these documents and the, ENO right. will cover that as well.
2: Absolutely. And, and you know, now that we're talking about claims and things of that nature, you know, a lot of times it's cheaper for the carrier to just settle. Uh, than to actually fight it, right? If they're they're calling negligence of injury or they, they've been unhealthy due to bed bugs or what you know whatever claim could could arise, uh, a lot of times you'll see these carriers just say, hey, you know what? Here's ten grand. Let's let's put this to bed because you know to pay all the litigation fees, all the attorneys, you know, at three hundred dollars an hour over the course of two years is going to exceed a hundred thousand. You know, nine times out of ten.
1: So when I'm looking at an E policy for my company. What are some of the things that I should be looking for or looking at? Are they all kind of created equal or is there certain things that you want to really look for?
2: Well, I mean, you know, it's an extension of your general liability. It's an additional million or $2 million of coverage for your professional services. It's also going to cover all of your property managers as well. So anything that they say or do on behalf of the company, that would be an umbrella over them as well.
1: And your realtors, and, right? If you have brokerage piece of that.
2: And and your realtors, right? If you're acting as a realtor or you're leasing, that errors and omission would oversee uh, the portion of the realtors and the realtor contracts and any, you know, any claims that can arise from, you know, backing out of a contract or, or, Hey, they pulled this deal for me and we didn't close and therefore I'm suing. Yes.
1: Got it. You had mentioned to me in the green room about a, what what was that we what was that that we talked about like the, the, that's a separate rider that's like it, it survives it goes on what is it called again
2: It's a sunset clause a sunset. and and, so and basically yeah. this is is covering your active liability for X amount of years after the policy was active, right? You know this is you'll see this very common with contractors. You'll see this you know on E and O policies. You'll see this on uh, on general liability policies. All across the board, but it's basically saying, hey, uh, if a claim were to arise three years later, even after this policy was active, we would still cover. And that would run you, you know, depending on how much gross sales you do, uh, an additional two to five grand, because basically we're extending that liability coverage over the course of the next three to five years if an incident occurred. And, you know, we're seeing more lately that these incidents are happening after the fact. Uh, as as you've experienced in in a lot of other property managers as well.
1: So by paying that sunset clause, it means even if something happened afterwards, I'm going to be, I'm going to be set. I'm going to be taken care of.
2: That is correct for, for a certain amount of years. And it's, it's finding that balance as to how many years is going to be covered. And it really just depends on, you know, how long these tenants are staying in that property. You know, a most recent one that I've seen is, is uh, they, they redid some construction on a house, the tenant you know, stepped on a nail, or got injured, and then and then ended up suing the property manager and the landlord. So a lot of times you're going to get tied in to that lawsuit, even though it's directed to the landlord, you know, your e and insurance is there to cover you as well.
1: So we're going to talk about that in a second. And we'll actually use that example. One of the things that, that as property managers, in our PMA anyway, here in, in Texas, we, even if the landlord has the house paid for, we we basically say state that they have to have insurance, right? It's kind of a requirement for us to manage their property. And so one of the challenges that we have uh, lately is that becoming additionally insured seems to be kind of like this, this unknown this black hole. (laughs) So uh, are you seeing less and less policies doing additionally insured or can you just tell our people, our listeners, what exactly is additionally insured?
2: So additional insured is is basically, you know, a party or an organization that needs to be listed on that insurance policy for whatever reason, right? For property managers, you need to be listed as the additional insured because when a claim arises, now you're able to negotiate with that a claims adjuster because a lot of times your investors are out of town or, you know, they can't just stop by and talk to the adjuster. That's typically your job in the process of a major hurricane, right? You know, being an additional insured allows you to Discuss with the adjuster and negotiate on behalf of the landlord, you know, with with, through that claim process, right? And, and that you being listed, you can call that insurance company direct and say, hey, you know, Mr. Such and Such had a claim, we're additional insureds, we'd like to file this claim on his behalf, and, you know, we'll meet you out on the inspection and, and walk through the property
1: with you. So, you know, the- it allows us to literally be the agent for the property owner in this case when we're additionally insured and the insurance company will actually go ahead and talk to us because we're additionally insured.
2: That is correct. And, and I think why it's becoming more of a pain lately is because depending on the type of policy they have, carriers are charging to add additional insurance. So so I don't know if it's a trust factor where, hey, they don't wanna add you and have you you know, negotiate everything from start to finish or they just don't wanna pay the additional $50 to have you, in, have you add it.
1: Got it. So one of the one of the misnomers that I had about the additionally insured was like if they sue the the property man, the property manager because I'm additionally insured, like I can I can push that off to the property owner. But that has, That is that is correct. Is that part of it as well?
2: That is correct, right? You're you're able to use your general liability, your professional liability and then pass on the clients or the landlords liability that's included on his policy. And if he's on a standalone policy, there's typically like 300 to 500,000 in general liability coverage. So in case of a, you know, major incident where there's an injury involved, you would, you would want to tie in all parties, right? Because it's going to happen one way or another.
1: Okay. So let's, let's use your example of maybe it's not a resident. Maybe I'm showing the property or we're doing a self-showing and Someone who's wa- who's walking the property falls in a, in a maybe it is a, a, a little ditch in the backyard, and let's just say they they get hurt. They get they get hurt real bad. Now they're gonna sue, and my my I, I guess a good attorney would sue everybody, right? They sue the property owner and then they sue the property manager. Now take me through a couple different scenarios. Let's say the property owner had the house paid for. Didn't have insurance, so that's one. And then the second one is they have insurance. I'm not additionally insured. And the third one is they have insurance and I'm additionally insured. So kind of just take me through a real high level. So if somebody gets hurt, they sue. That guy doesn't have insurance. I guess they're coming after me. Then is that right? Like they, that is correct. You know, depending on attorneys. I'll do the disclaimer for you. Hate them is not an attorney. I'm not an attorney. <laughs> uh, we're just talking about this from an insurance perspective. Okay.
2: Absolutely. So so let's say he doesn't have insurance and. This person, let's just say, let's just say, uh, a, another realtor comes and slips and falls down the stairs, and now they're now they're suing. Depending on how the house is deeded, whether it's under an LLC or a business name, or it's under his personal name, could could raise some concern, right? If it's under his personal name, his personal assets are at stake, right? So uh, if that was your house, Pete, and you know, in HCAT, it said Pete Newbig under it, they can actually come after your personal assets depending on. Uh, the, how extensive the injury was, right? But a lot of times, you know, attorney doesn't want to pick up a case where there's no insurance involved.
1: Right. So would my? So now they're gonna they're gonna pivot and they're gonna look at the property management company.
2: Correct. Yeah, now, shows. as you now you're saying that you were showing the property. Let's now say, let's was, just let's just say self- it was a civilian.
1: Yeah, it's a self showing. It's a civilian. They fall down the stairs because they're you know whatever, and they get really hurt. So they see they get the attorney attorney sees that this guy it's in an LLC, he owns the house and like, "Eh, all right, but the management company, they have insurance." So a couple of questions here is which insurance would the, would this be the general liability insurance that covers this or do I need workers comp insurance to cover this? Somebody slip a slip and fall in the property.
2: So was this one of your agents no, that that fell?
1: It's a it's a Joe client, Joe public.
2: See, in in this case, you you know, you're general liability technically would cover but you know you're not negligent for anything you know unless unless you did the construction and you know let's say there was there was paper on the floor that someone slipped on and you were negligent yes but let's just say you just picked this property up it was vacant and you're going to go take a look at it prior and and some random just just slips and falls that's different i don't I, i don't think you're negligent there and and nor do I think your insurance would cover that.
1: So cover it, but would they defend you? Because it is absolutely okay, absolutely, and the defend- defense costs
2: will be included.
1: Right, but that's not under E and O; that would be under GL. That'd be under your general liability. So this way, now as the property manager, because I had GL insurance, meanwhile the the owner doesn't have any insurance, but because I right. have GL insurance, and it's kind of a, let's call it a bogus claim here, although they did trip and fall, but there was no one, there was no negligence. The insurance company would defend. For us in this case, correct. Got it. Okay. All right. So now I'm um, additionally insured. Now the the owner has insurance. He's got you know gen- he's got was it liability insurance right for a prop property? Yeah. So now the, the the attorney would would he sue? Can he sue both insurance companies? Like would he sue the property management company and the owner? And my guess is yes, right? They sue everybody all the time, right?
2: I mean, he would depending on how how severe the, those injuries were. But but ultimately they're, they're going after the landlord first, right? And that's if they know that a property management group is involved, then they may come after you or send you your letter and, and trying to extract your insurance. Which you know I, I wouldn't forego that information just off the bat, right? That that's one of those those times where you get your agent involved and say, hey, this is what happened. What should we do next? Like should we, should we contact an attorney to? To kind of push back, or should we just file it and let them handle it?
1: Got it. And a lot of times, if if the insurance gets that and they see that the the is other insurance on there, and that that insurance should cover it. In this case, it's kind of cut and dry. The general the liability of the property owner should cover it. The insurance would then send some information to that to that other insured company and like let them defend is that is that happening?
2: exactly and they'll, they'll subrogate against that that is correct
1: okay so they have subrogated okay so mm-hmm. does that like is that a claim now does because they're because I had to get them involved does that increase my insurance risk moving forward even though they're not really responsible they're just kind of subrogating it
2: unfortunately it does Anytime a claim is open whether small or large right from the moment that the claims department is contacted that an inspector and adjuster has to come out or an attorney has to look at, you know, review the paperwork that claim is going and, and there's money being spent one way or another. Right. Which is why, which is why, you know, you and I have always had a great relationship and help mitigating all of those, those issues by reviewing it beforehand, contacting our resources ahead of, uh, you know, ahead of schedule, and then making the decision, you know, in the interim to go ahead and file that claim at the end, rather rather than just file it, let them handle it, because if you do that and I, I'm not sure if you experienced this before, they just pay out and they just give the guy 15 grand. They don't even contact you for for information on the claim. They just, they, you know, and then that affects your rates moving forward.
1: I heard and you can let let us know if this is true. I heard it, even if you enter a claim and then you rescind it saying, oh, no, no, just kidding. I, you know, I, I pay the guy 500 bucks and I call it called it a day that even that, just by opening that claim, even if they didn't didn't do anything, would go against you and and your- Your, your record. Yeah, okay. And, and so then all of a sudden your insurance would increase.
2: That is correct. Because your claims history now shows that you filed a claim. You know, a lot of times you have a discount that shows, you know, a no claims discount, right? I haven't had a claim in three to five years. And the moment you open one, you automatically lose that. And that could be several thousand.
1: Got it. So that's another reason to have a really good- insurance agent working with you to kind of guide you to navigate those waters. Absolutely. So there's a lot of talk at, you know, in our industry about master policies. So can you explain to our, our listeners what a master policy is and then how it could be useful for our clients as property managers?
2: Absolutely. So master policies I feel are the new wave for property managers to help mitigate all of the service issues that you're dealing with, with your, your landlords and, you know, being able to control these policies without having to deal with a hundred different types of insurance, depending on how many properties you manage and the master policy, what it is, is that, you know, a group or an organization, let's just use empire uh, as an example. And, you know, you have the master policy, and with that, we can list as many additional insureds as needed. So you're the you're the policy holder, you're the carrier, you're the policy holder of this policy, and I can list every landlord one by one. You know, list their property and insure each property as such. Okay, uh, so now this eliminates you having to add yourself as an additional insured because you are the main insured on this policy. And two, you're dealing with one insurance company. You're dealing with inspection guidelines of one insurance carrier. You're dealing with one claims adjuster. It's just so much easier to manage. And by you having a bundled policy, not only is it saving you time on the service aspect, it's going to save your clients money. You know? So we've even figured out ways where you can incorporate this into your, your gross sales because you know, to be on your policy and at a discounted rate, you can charge each client X amount of dollars as a service fee every year. And we've seen that it works, right? It works because when a hurricane does come and you have 200 claims, you don't want to have to deal with 200 different insurance companies. You don't want to have to meet all these different adjusters. It's, it's too hard to manage. I know you've experienced it before. So I do think master policies for property managers, you know, for properties, you know, for 10 properties or more is the way to go.
1: Okay. So you, you, you there's a lot to unpack there. So yeah, yeah sorry. That's okay. So, the first thing is you need at least 10 properties to, to raise their hand and say, I'll, I'm going to go ahead and be part of this master policy. That's the correct. M- okay. The second thing is what I like about this, it's you're guaranteeing that the owner has insurance, right? Because sometimes owners don't pay their insurance or they have the house paid for and they don't want to pay for insurance. Right. The next thing is we're guaranteeing that we're additionally insured. That is correct. The next thing is we're working with one company. So it is one processes so we can streamline our processes. Now you said lower cost to owners. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So, cause this would be a really good way for us to keep our owners, right? Like I'm going to fire you, but I'm saving $500 a year in insurance or whatever it is. So what kind of, what kind of savings can you typically have you typically seen on these master policies?
2: I've seen massive rate reductions and reason being, you know, for an investor that has, you know, one-off policies, he owns four houses, he has four individual policies, you know, your rates are as stated, right? There's no negotiation. Uh, You're dealing with a standard insurance company. So every year you're taking a three to 10% rate hike, if not more, you know, and, you know, and then whether or not they want to keep the policy later on, then they have to switch to a different insurance carrier. So that process, you know, is just skewed from the jump. But as you bundle, the more and more property value as you grow, you know, for somebody who had four to a thousand houses like you did, you know, the higher that that total insured value is, the better your property rate gets, right? And then, you know, after the course of the year, right? We, let's say we're managing 400 properties and only two of them had, had insurance claims, right? You're, you're deemed as, as very profitable for that insurance company. So the following year, you're able to negotiate your rates even further. You can say, hey, look, we paid $100,000 in insurance. We only had, you know, 20000 in claims. You know, what can we do? Or, or can, we keep, can we lock in the rate for the following year? You have more leverage with a bundled policy because, you know, you're able to show proof of your loss history. On individual policies, you can't. So there's really no negotiation on individual policies. And on the master policy, you're showing profitability for the carrier as you grow.
1: So I can I can attest to this because, you know, when I sold Empire, I went with another company that bought us and I actually have seven properties. So I'm under that 10 threshold, but they had a master policy and I was paying about 40 percent less when I went with their master policy versus my own policy. And when uh, I, you, this might be news to you, but you're not, you're not actually insuring my properties anymore. So. No, no, I know that. <laughs> right. So, but, but what I found was, I think I actually sent you what their coverage was and you told me it was basically the same, what I had. Do you, right. do you see that normally? Or is it like less coverage with these master policies and that's how you're getting less. That's how getting it, less.
2: you do see a little less coverage, right? Because uh, your standard carriers, they want, 120 to $150 a foot, right? So for a thousand square foot home, you know, or let's just say 2000 square foot home, they want 350,000 in coverage, something ridiculous, right? But I, Hey, I bought it for 140. Why would I need that much coverage on, on a master policy? You're able to insure the property for 70, $75 a foot, even less if you want to stretch it.
1: Is that and, national and, or, are you, or are you doing, te- or are you doing Houston uh, right there with the 70, $75?
2: You know, it, it's just where most investors go. It's kind of a sweet spot because, okay. cool. yeah, can I, rebuild, can I rebuild for $70? No. Do I envision myself having a total loss? No, it's, it's highly unlikely. You know, with, with today's prices, today's material, today's taxes and, and construction, the way things it, things are, uh, we're looking at closer to $120 a foot to rebuild. But, you know, again, are, are we dealing with a poker player or a blackjack player? What type of investor are you?
1: So let me ask you this, if I have a master policy, but I have a, a client that's like, Hey man, I don't like these terms. I want to go, I, I would like additional insurance. Is that something that we can do or do they have to get insurance on their own and get outside? The-
2: no, it's great because you can tweak the policy. However you like. Does it tweak uh, for
1: everybody or would it tweak just for those houses? No, no, it's,
2: it's, it's on a per per client basis, right? So if you're saying, if the client, the client saying, Hey, I want $90 a foot we can insure that property for $90 a foot. The great thing is, is that you're getting 2 million in general liability per property, right? So now we don't even have to discuss how much insurance you have from your, from your general liability standpoint on, on the property management group, because they have enough coverage per property, 2 million satisfy any major injuries or or, or lawsuits that, that were occur. So, you know, you're able to tweak the policies. You can increase deductibles, uh, decrease deductibles on a per case basis, and you're getting the general liability that's needed, you know, for those major
1: lawsuits. So as a, as a potential client, I can ask for additional insurance and I will still get disca- I'll still get a discounted rate because I'm part of it under the master policy. And then I'm just correct. A couple of, okay. So correct. this sounds like an administration nightmare, is it? Or like uh, as a property management company, how do I manage all of these policies, if you will, is that, do I need to hire a part-time virtual team member? Do I need to bring somebody in house? Is that do, do, does the insurance broker handle most of this? How does, how does that all work?
2: Now, now I, I look at it both ways, right? It's an administration nightmare, whether you're on a, a master policy or you're, you know, dealing with well, the, if
1: they have their own policies, I'm not dealing with it, but I have no idea what kind of coverage they have. And it's like, I don't have, right. Don't zero or
2: or if they have coverage right. or, you know, if they have a claim and am I listed as the additional insured? So, you know, just jumping through those hoops are, are ridiculous at times, right? The administration aspect will only be, I need to add and remove properties. Hey, we, we gained X amount of clients. We need to add these policies. That's a fairly easy process. You know, something that we'll look to, to, streamline online, right? At real time where clients can can basically add and remove as they buy and sell, or as you, as you list uh, new prop, new properties uh, from a property management standpoint that, you know, re- really that's it. That's the administration portion is, Hey, I need to add, add clients or I need to remove these. He is sold his property. It, it and it went
1: else keeping a massive spreadsheet or sending you guys a report, pull these off, pull these on type stuff. Well,
2: we actually send reports to our clients every month. Right. To tell you, Hey, please verify. That these are the properties that remain, you know, because they're they're on monthly reporting.
1: So basically, as I onboard somebody or offboard somebody, you guys just become a just a task to and let the insurance team know, hey, this is getting on, this is coming off.
2: Exactly, okay. exactly. So not not a huge administration nightmare. The admin, it, the nightmare tends to occur when whenever there's claims involved and. Uh, you know, a major disaster, hurricane, a flood. You know, where are these guys going to move? Things like that.
1: Right. Okay. So then, you had said something about like the PM company can make some money on like an administration fee. Now, Absolutely. Even, even if I'm not an insurer, right? Because you have to be licensed to be to be insurance. I'm not selling insurance here, so no. So tell me how we can make money on this, because the two things that I love about this master policy, number one, it's a retention game. If someone's right. not going to leave me, go to my competitor, and then all of a sudden they realize that their insurance has just doubled, right? So that's a retention game. And then two, I, I have control, so I love that, right? So I have full control, I have better insurance, and then the last piece of it is I can actually make money. So tell me more a little bit about that.
2: So yeah, it's not commission-based, it's, it's purely a service fee. Right, you are charging a service fee per client per property to manage their insurance, right? And it, it is a process, and and like you said, you know, it has its qualms and it could be an issue. And I have to do this, and I have to add that. I mean, you have to pay somebody, whether it be a virtual assistant or somebody, to contact the agent and say, "Hey, I need to add this property." So it's a it's a one time a year service fee per property. I've seen it as low as fifty dollars, and I've seen it as high as two hundred dollars, uh, depending on the type of savings that, that you're offering the clients and also the bulk of the portfolio, how big it is. And you know, how, how much time do I actually have to spend on the insurance aspect of, of the service? So, you know, anywhere from 50 to $200 per client. And if you're managing a thousand properties, you know, th- those numbers do add up.
1: Yeah, sure does. All right. Let's pivot onto the resident side. So I know at empire, we did a poor job of this, but our lease said that they have to have, they had to have tenant insurance. Right tenant, mm-hmm. tenant liability. So, can you give our like so? There's tenant liability and it's tenant coverage or tenant right. contents. Can you let our, our our listeners know the difference between the two, and then how how does it help us, the managers and the owners?
2: Got it. So, basically, tenant liability or renter's insurance is coverage for the the renter or the tenant, basically covering all of their contents if they so choose and any. Personal liability concerns that arise, right? We can add as high as about five hundred thousand dollars. In fact, I, I always advise that you require at least five hundred K on the renter's policy, and that's going to cover any negligence on their part, where you know they had someone come over, there was a little drinking, they fell down the stairs, and now they want to sue the landlord. Well, the tenant has coverage in place to protect you against that. Now, you know, is, go let ahead. Let me
1: ask you this real quick. Are there are two separate policies, one that's called tenant liability and one that's called tenant contents, or is it all one policy? It's all the same. It's all the same. all the same. Okay. Yeah.
2: It's a uh, renter's insurance. And, you know, they're, they're, there's a little, there's certain riders, uh, for instance, uh, you have loss assessment. So if, you know, if they have a fire and that fire extends to the next house, or if it's a condo and it extends to that house, you know, how much coverage is you going to have? There's coverage in place for that. Uh, you could also include uh, water damage coverage, like- you know the the tenant's child overflowed the toilet, put a toy in there, and it backed up and flooded the entire house. So there's different riders on there. So biggest thing that I've seen is where flood happens. The tenant loses all their contents.
1: We're in Houston, people. So yeah, we're in Houston here. right?
2: They lose <laughs> people, all the contents, and then they Colorado, le- they people, lean on
1: People yeah. in Colorado like, what what floods? <laughs>
2: And they lean on the uh, landlord and say, you're negligent for all my contents. No, no, I'm not right. I had flood insurance for my, you know, from firewall to firewall, you needed coverage to protect you against any damages that occur. So uh, it's up to the tenant to insure and protect their contents. And I've seen it where they tried to sue a landlord for those issues after a flood.
1: And this is where if they try to sue the landlord or the property management company, we would obviously put a claim in the insurance company would defend us and basically it would just stop them from there at that
2: point. That is correct.
1: But it hurts us because now we put a claim in
2: and, and the ding shows. So yeah. uh, it's a no Absolutely. win-win situation, but you know, these policies are only 200, $250 a year, depending on the credit. They're not. And yeah. And a lot of times the master policy has an option where, you know, you can extend a master policy for renters as well. So, Uh, You can also just throw the the tenant on there as well so that you know they're insured, they have extended liability. If anything were to occur, you you kind of control their insurance.
1: So, that was going to be my next question. So, I can have a master policy for owners and a master policy for residents. And typically, is the resident, is the master policy, if a resident decides to go into the master policy, is it cheaper for them typically just like it is for the owner? Because we have, if
2: it it would be, because obviously you're, you're, bundling you know 30 40 or 100 properties so it would take the rate from 250 down to like 170 you know there's it's like pennies on the dollar for these policies they're so small but yes on a bulk policy there definitely will be some savings there
1: can i can i create an admin charge for that as well absolutely okay so there's an so there's a way for us to make money we're given a better uh, potentially a better product by doing this and we have control because now we know that the resident has insurance if they're on our master policy
2: Exactly. And then you, you don't want to have to go through that process again of right. telling the tenant to list us as the additional insured so that we know when he misses his payment that it canceled. Uh, and then when it does cancel, I got to call. It's just, it, it becomes too yeah. labor intensive.
1: And I know there are some companies, there's some of you guys out there that like, oh yeah, well we have, they have to show the policy before they get the keys, but that doesn't prevent them from canceling the policy the next month. Right. Or not paying for the policy.
2: Exactly. Like having
1: a, a, a master policy would be good. All right, so let's talk a little bit about about animals and dogs. So hmm. one of the big challenges we have here is like, we have to abide by fair housing, right? And if a if a if a resident says that they, hey, this is an ESA animal, and it's a pit bull, then we have to let them go. We have to let them let that pit bull in because it's not a it's not a pet at that point. It's we call it an occupant almost, right? It's, it's not it's no longer. <laughs> For for the insurance company, let's say they do a drive by, and they say that pit bull in the backyard. And this actually happened to me, so I know what happens. They literally would send me a letter of uh, of cancellation, like they were going to cancel me. So t- walk me through that. Like you know, I want to take let, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk about that particular instance. So do I just have to send them the paperwork to show them that this is an ESA animal? They have to abide by fair housing as well. These insurance companies,
2: you, you can, and and some may or may not, but. You know, and they, they may rescind the cancellation, but they're, they're also letting you know that any liability issues that arise from that pit bull, they are not covered. But, okay, but,
1: but do they, they don't so they don't have to abide by fair housing laws? No. What?
2: In terms of that, no. So they're they're letting you know that any issues that were to arise with that pit bull, and and here's a big thing: look at your exclusions. I know people. You know, the the, the average consumer never actually looks at their policy. Dive into the exclusion portion and, and educate yourself on what is covered and what is not covered. If you dive into it and you see, hey, you know, assault and battery is not covered or dog liability. Well, okay, dog liability is covered, but there's exclusions tied into that. And it's going to list your breeds that are not covered, your Rottweilers, your Chows, your, you know, pit bulls, things of that nature, right? They're saying, hey, we'll cover dog liability, but if it happens outside of this breed...
1: Is not covered. So, so I, you have. I that. want to make sure I got this right because I'm mm-hmm. still reeling from what you just said. All right. So, right. So as a property manager, realtor, I have to abide by fair housing laws that say that this dangerous breed animal, in this case, a pit bull. Right. We have to take it because it's not an animal. Correct. The insurance company catches catches wind about this 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 animal. They want to cancel my policy. I say, hey, it's an ESA. And they can tell me to go pound sand like I'm canceling the policy.
2: Absolutely, the dog.
1: now I'll let you know I cannot get rid of that dog legally.
2: Right, and it's not, it's and not a
1: dog; it's an occupant.
2: <laughs> it's an occupant, exactly. And and really, there are there are other alternatives, right? There are individual bull breed liability policies out there. So making that a requirement. So hey, we'll allow your occupant or bulldog to occupy the home, but you're going to have to get a policy on that, that dog. And those, those typically run about five to $600 a year, right? Additional, additional. A- additional, that, and that's on their own. They're going to need to show you proof. It, it's just, what's five $600 when there's a major dog bite or even a death? And, you know, trying to explain that to someone who lost someone or, or lost a hand. I've seen an instance where a pit bull ripped off a little girl's hand, and that claim was about $700,000 right? That was, that was about nine years ago when bull breeds were covered, right? Slowly as, as time went on, you know, how things change insurance companies pull things off policies every year. If they feel like it, it's to their, their benefit or advantage.
1: Got it. So if I, if I wanted to take dangerous breeds because it gets people in there quicker and all that good stuff, you're recommending like that the homeowner should have this, this rider, let's call it, this is Not
2: the homeowner, the tenant. tenant.
1: The tenant. Oh, okay. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. So we make it a requirement on the tenant to say, "Hey, fine, you know, I have to allow this dog, but you have to abide by my rules." Okay. And my rules state that you need to have insurance on that pet.
1: Got it. Now, if I had a master resident policy, I could add that as part of the as part of the policy, and then for that specific tenant, just like I could
2: for, for the that property. is correct. It, which is it's a specific rider okay. per property. And, and it also depends, you know, I've seen an incident where a guy had a black panther in his backyard, you know? So it's like, how far are we going? And it clearly says exotic animals are not covered.
1: Wakanda forever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I have a resident, he wants his pit bull, not an ESA, cause that's, that's not an animal, but he wants a pit bull. He says, he's going to get the insurance. It shows us the insurance, cancels it the next month. Two months later, Pitbull bites somebody. All of a sudden, I'm liable. Yeah.
2: Unfortunately, yeah. Because you're screening that tenant, you are making sure it's a safe habitat. I, I, allowed, for, I
1: allowed the dog at that point because he. Had you the allowed insurance. the dog. Yep.
2: You, right. you know, and you're stating that it's a safe habitat for not only the tenant but the neighbors as well. And the dog got loose and and bit a couple children. And yes, your your insurance is at stake at that point
1: okay but if now I, but if i now have... you're go ahead. go ahead no go ahead finish that thought
2: now your 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 policy is not going to specifically exclude those dog bites right or those uh, bull breeds
1: yeah because they're, it's they're,
2: not it's not a tenant policy
1: they're going to co- cut they're not going to cover me right i mean or would they cover me
2: if if the dog if there was no animal liability exclusion then yes they would cover you Right. So it really just depends on the exclusion itself. And
1: is that, is that, that that's a GL policy, right? The general library. That is correct. So that's something that I would make sure that I had on my G and L policy because correct I trust tenants as far as I can throw them And you know, I'm not a big, <laughs> but if I had a master policy and I added it now, I can't, I don't worry about if they, if, if they have the, if, cause then now they're paying through my, through my system. So I know they're paying their policy. I'm paying the policy. exactly. Okay. So that's another, so, so, Less liability for us if we have master policies, right? More control, less liability.
2: Correct. All right. It's it's unfortunate that that these property managers take on all the liability when all they're really doing. I mean, you're just the middleman, putting the pieces together, finding the tenant. We're not,
1: yeah, we're not doing anything wrong. Like, we're not just,
2: really doing anything. I mean, I you, it's not like you're going and picking up the rent. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's unfortunate.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's go through. We're, we're, Actually, we're we're like we're we're actually uh, against the time, but this is such a good conversation. I want to keep this moving, so let's talk about the anatomy of a claims process. Yes. Right? So we talked a lot about how we can prevent prevent us from our liability, right? So by having the right riders, having the right policies in place, having master policies to control everything, that's going to all protect us, right? That's protect Correct. the property manager. But regardless, we had just talked about all these different incidents. <laughs> And if you're in this business long enough, you're going to get a claim against you. It's, you're going to get it, exactly. Matter of time. So now tell me a little bit. So now I get served papers, right? Because that's how I know when a claim is filed against me, is somebody in mm-hmm. the papers and said, okay, we're suing you for a million dollars because of mold, right? Uh, we're in Houston. Mold is a big thing. If you're not in Houston, mold's probably not as a big thing. But let's just say, I got sick from mold. You're negligent. Um, So now take me through this process. Like after I freak out and I poop my pants a little bit now, now what do I do?
2: Well, now it's really get all your documentation in place. You know, what have you done to combat that, you know, in, in the instance where we sent over mold remediation guys to, you know, scrub the mold to dehumidify or, you know, whatever he did to, or sprayed antimicrobials to help, you know, mitigate the mold. Got, got a certification that stated the uh, the home is mold free, so now that that liability is not on you, the liability is on the restoration company, right? So making sure your documentation is in place first and foremost. All right, so getting that's, that's also
1: making sure I got my PMA, my 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 lease, all that good stuff. I'm exactly. Looking, I'm looking at the work order. I'm gathering all the information from the work order. All right, so I have all this information. Now what do I do?
2: So now that, then, you would contact your agent and say, hey, you know, I've just been served. You know, what's the process from here? Should we file it? Should we not file it? You know, in that instance, like, like we did, did I would start with the general liability to see how far they will extend, whether it be you know defense costs or, or uh, punitive damages or whatever it is, and then if they won't cover, then we extend to the E and So we, we go through all lines of defense, see who's going to cover, who obviously you know based on the case or, or the facts of the story, or hey, we're negligent or we're not negligent or we did our job, and then kind of go from there. So,
1: so let me pause you there. What if what if we messed up and we are negligent like yeah man we messed up and we didn't send the mold guy over is do they not cover at that point they, they, they can decline they can decline coverage yes
2: no no I mean if, if you have the coverage in place no they can't cover and that's what insurance is for in case something happens right mm-hmm. uh, there are situations now is that going to affect you later on yeah, absolutely uh, it's going to affect your rates it, it kind of molds you as a specific owner you know, on how you handle certain situations. And is it somebody I want to insure the following year? Probably not. You'll probably receive a cancellation the following year, especially when you, when you see the amount, the size of the claim versus what you're paying every year. If I'm paying 10 grand and I got to fork over a million dollars, probably not, not somebody we want the following year. So, so no, you, you would still be covered even if you are negligent, even if, you know, you didn't take necessary precautions to mitigate that claim. You know, those type of things happen.
1: Okay. So, all right. So now I gather all the information. I go to you. You say, Hey, let's, let's try to get this with GL. Okay. They, they might decline it because it has nothing to do with GL. It's an E and Right. So between my GL, ENO, and my workers comp, I'm pretty much going to get some kind of defense because at the Absolutely. end of the day, whether you win or lose the defenses will cost you all the money. Right. I mean, that's the majority of it. Right. All right. So now, so now what happens? So you put in a claim for me now, now tell me what happens next.
2: From there, the adjuster should contact you within a week or two, depending on how backed up they are, to, to go through the motions. Uh, once their attorneys, review the lawsuit documents, review all the facts. You know, if, if you haven't sent them all the documents, you, you know, you just kind of go back and forth. And, and then they want your side. Hey, you tell us what happened. You know, where, where do you feel like you're negligent or what have you? And, you know, ultimately, what I've seen to happen is the insurance company typically likes to settle. Even if it's a case they know they can be in the next year or two, because those defense costs they're paying, your defense costs they're paying, the claimant's defense costs, it, it will add up more, more, more than likely. So, you know, if, it, if it's a matter of just forking over 50 grand or a hundred grand, they usually come to settlement terms well before all that.
1: Now, typically, do you need to get an attorney, like your attorney involved, or once you get the claim in, they, their attorneys kind of take it from there. And I really don't even need to get my attorney involved.
2: That, that's correct. You wouldn't need to get your attorney involved. That, that's, you leave it up to the insurance company's attorneys to, to fight the claim, to gather the facts and go from there.
1: And that was a mistake I made with one of my claims. I had my attorney start working on it first. And then if you remember, hit them, be like, oh man, that's, that's an, and O thing. And then we went, you right. know, now, luckily I my attorney had done all this work and, and it was, it ended up becoming a pretty easy case for us because my attorney did all this work. However, I would have probably saved myself about $10,000 if I just went to the insurance company first. Right. Now, if an insurance company does say like, no, we're not going to do this. Then I get my attorney involved to actually sue the insurance company. And that becomes a whole, a whole other deal. Right.
2: Correct. Correct. And, and, and that's, that's kind of your backup option, right? And you, you look at the contracts, you find out what's covered, what's not covered. Again, even if you are negligent and it was just a honest mistake, something that happened where, you know, doesn't happen often, but it did, they still have to cover it if, it, if it's not excluded on the policy.
1: So, okay. So once the insurance says, Hey, we're going to take this claim. At that point, you're kind of out of it. They just keep asking you more for more information from time to time Correct. Right. Okay. And then at that point, then they just kind of, Hey, let you, do you want to solve, do you want to, I think they actually reached out to me and said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to settle, settle. And then are you okay with, with this settlement, which is like, at that point, you're like, yeah, let's get it off my plate. Right.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, if they go further, then you probably have to go to deposition, state your case in front of a judge and you know, that whole bit. But a lot of times, yeah, they're going to reach, reach out well beforehand and say, Hey, look, let's just give this guy. 30, 40 grand, and then put this to rest.
1: Okay. So if you can give anybody advice right now, what is one piece of advice you'd give somebody right now that's listening to this?
2: You know, for property managers, you know, know your coverages. You don't have to read your entire policy. Just read your exclusions. Go in, And if Pete would like, I can send you an exclusion sheet of what to look for, uh, especially for property managers, and know what's covered. Make sure you have errors in emissions insurance. You know, make sure you have general liability. Make sure... You, you have workers comp to protect your employees and property managers that go on site, you know, don't look at it as, as a liability. It's just, uh, it's, it's part of the cost and it's well worth it. I've seen hundreds of incidents from a property management uh, organization where, you know, there is no amount of money that you wouldn't be willing to pay to know it was covered. So, you know, and also look at the master policy option. Moving forward, if you're dealing with, you know, a hundred different tenants or a hundred different landlords and their policies, and it becomes a service nightmare.
1: All right, thanks, Hatham. We're gonna be right back when we take a quick commercial break, and then we're gonna to go to the lightning round. So, thanks. Pete. We'll be right back. Hold on one second.
2: Got it. Did you know that most tenants struggle to come up with a large sum of money needed to move into their new rental home? Let Renters Insurance Solutions help you solve this problem by giving tenants another option for security deposits. Property managers can make up to two hundred dollars per door annually with our programs. Learn more at our website, yourris.com, that's y-o-u-r-r-i-s.com. Renters Insurance Solutions, your experts in property management and insurance.
3: Have you ever considered hiring a property management virtual assistant, but didn't know where to start? Or have you tried hiring a virtual assistant, but you weren't satisfied with the number of qualified applicants? If so, VPM Solutions is here to help. VPM is the world's first virtual talent marketplace dedicated specifically to property management and real estate. We have thousands of talented virtual assistants ready to work for you, including assistants for accounting, leasing, maintenance coordination, rent collections, and much more. With VPM, you can post jobs, screen candidates, hire and pay your virtual assistants, all from within our state-of-the-art platform. VPM is the easy button for hiring and managing your virtual team. And the best part, VPM Solutions is 100% free to employers. That's right, free. No placement fees, no employer markups, and no hidden charges. With VPM, property managers get the talent they need while reducing costs and improving customer service. Visit vpmsolutions.com and create your free account today. PestShare, a pest control amenity for your resident benefits program. Starting at just $5 per door, you can give your residents the pest control coverage they need. PestShare will even pay for the expensive infestations like bed bugs and cockroaches. End the debate over who pays for pest control while PestShare turns an expense into added revenue. For more information, check out their website at pestshare.com forward slash property managers.
1: All right, welcome back everybody. All right, hate them. Are you ready for the
2: lightning round? I'm ready. I'm ready. Right.
1: Here we go. <laughs> what is one accomplishment or something unique about you that most people don't know?
2: That I play the saxophone.
1: I did not know that about you.
2: I, no, not many people know that.
1: <laughs> you play it well?
2: I do play it well.
1: Nice, man. That's awesome. That's a sexy that's a sexy instrument right there.
2: I was Kenny G in my past life, you know. <laughs>
1: Which do you prefer Marvel or DC? I would say Marvel. Marvel guy. All right. What is one piece of advice you'd give someone just starting out in business?
2: Take risks. I thought, take risks. I thought you
1: were going to say, reduce your liability, get insurance.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. reduce yeah. yeah. get insurance? You, you, uh, you obviously insurance you, you is you needed. Went but the
1: opposite way on that. Take the insurance guy says, take risks.
2: <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm a risk taker. You know, not, not so much when it comes to insurance, but definitely take risks. Kind of build your team prior you know, to, to, to help mitigate those issues later on down the road, but find like, like-minded guys like yourself and, and other guys that we've grown in the industry. And, and, you know, people who are open books that will, that will help you and, and help you grow.
1: Yeah, Mentors. Absolutely. People mentors. Does pineapple belong on pizza?
2: I like pineapple. <laughs> I like pineapple on pizza. <laughs> right.
1: Well, we will not be break- When we break bread, it's not pizza. What book are you currently reading or is one that has impacted your business or life?
2: I am currently reading The Alchemist.
1: Okay. The Alchemist. What is that about?
2: It's about a boy who, you know, in theory, it's about pursuing your dream as a child and how us as adults, as we get older, uh, our, our dream from when we were a child becomes less and less likely to happen. Yep. Uh, the, the boy's dream was to become a shepherd and followed his dream from the age of 8 all the way through his life it, it, it's actually a really good book all right
1: other than the NARPM radio podcast what is a podcast you would recommend
2: other podcasts i recommend definitely like the joe rogan podcast i like serial i don't know if you've uh, checked that podcast out i have not it's just about you know different cases of people who might or might, may or may not be innocent Okay. And this, and this podcaster dives into the case and, you know, tries to, to find loopholes in, in the, the trial to help get them out. So it's called Serial. It's a really, really good podcast.
1: Nice. What do you prefer dogs or cats? Dogs. All right. All right. If somebody wanted to, if somebody was inspired and they wanted to reach out to you and get hold of you, how would they do that?
2: You can contact me by phone or email. Would you like me to give it here yeah, or? Absolutely. My my cell phone number is 832-513-3779. All my clients have my cell phone number. You can text me, you can call me. If I don't answer, I usually call you back within 24 hours or email me at H-F-O-T-Y at benchmarkbroker.com.
1: And are you guys licensed in all states or just Texas or?
2: We are licensed in 44 states. I think we're not licensed in Hawaii, Alaska, and a couple other ones. So there's really no limitations to what we can or can't do.
1: Awesome. And if you want to join NARPM, go to narpm.org or call the good folks over there at 800-782-3452. And if you end up creating master policies and need virtual assistance, go to vpmsolutions.com or give me a call at 832-656-3740.
0: This has been a production of the National Association of Residential Property Managers. The recognized leader in property management, along with your host, Pete Newbig, CEO of VPM Solutions, where property management meets global talent. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the host and are not necessarily those of NARPM. If you have a hot topic you'd like discussed on the podcast, please email us at radio at narpum.org.